going to read tonight from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah 3. We read that in connection with our text, which is found in 1 Timothy 2. We read that because it is an example of the behavior of women that the Apostle warns about. And this chapter gives a historical example of how this can occur in the church and the Lord's attitude toward it. Isaiah 3. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be a healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of His glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves." Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, err, and destroy the way of thy paths. The Lord standeth up to plead and standeth to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of His people and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts." Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will discover their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, 
the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of a sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth. And a burning instead of beauty. Thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. Our text this evening is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. The text, beloved people of God, that we consider tonight, we must see is a warning, a necessary warning for the church of Jesus Christ, hence its place here in this great pastoral epistle in which the apostle sets forth how we must behave in the house or church of God. This is a necessary warning for us to hear every bit as much as the warning that follows it and that precedes it. There is a truth that is given preceding that this is connected to. The words of our text begin in like manner. And that refers to what the Apostle has just said. And what he has just said is directed to the men and says, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. There the Apostle is teaching a truth that he will return to in just a few verses, that it is men who are to lead the congregation in worship and also teach and preach, excluding therefore women. Now in like manner he has something to say to the women, and what he has to say is very much as authoritative as the word that we receive that women are excluded from church office and may not lead the worship services. We must also see this word is an important word, a necessary word for us to hear, even as necessary because it addresses an evil that is significant and pervasive in the church of Jesus Christ and has appeared in history and does appear in the church. In fact, what we must see is even that this very error dressed in the passage in like manner is very much related as the prophecy of Isaiah shows to leadership in the church. 
that just as was the case in the days of Isaiah, where it was women who were leading the nation of Israel, so it was related to how they dressed and their apparel and their attitude. And therefore, that shows a connection and why this is a warning. One cannot receive the warning with regard to leadership and preaching and males with regard to that without considering this passage. The reason is because the same sins are the source of both. It has to do with pride. It has to do with vanity. That's what lies behind all of this. That this is something that the Apostle addresses being nothing new and certainly something that the church must be aware of is that the Apostle Peter also takes up this issue in chapter 3 of his first epistle, verses 3 and 4, where a similar warning is given to the church about the adornment of women and related issues. This is especially a fitting text to consider on the occasion of public profession of faith. Not because believe, of course, that the women who made profession of faith are an example of those the Apostle warns against, but because they have professed godliness. They have professed their faith. Professing their faith, they profess godliness. And therefore, a very fitting time for us to consider what is fitting, what is appropriate for the women of the congregation to wear and how they should adorn themselves in the worship of the church. We'll consider that this evening, the adornment of women professing godliness. And we notice three points under that. The appropriate apparel, that is that adornment. The spiritual standard of that adornment. And finally, the beautiful ensemble, that is that adornment. First of all, the appropriate apparel. The warning that the Apostle Paul makes here is one that may not be overlooked, may not be minimized, and certainly may not be mocked. This warning that the Apostle gives, he gives with considerable courage And he gives because he understands it to be necessary for the church of Jesus Christ to hear. Texts such as we consider tonight are every bit as important and takes as much courage to preach and to defend as do other truths of the Holy Scripture, even those that the Apostle Paul taught, which as he mentions in this book, bring him great persecution from the Jews and would even lead to his execution by the state. These other kinds of passages that today, sadly, in the church even, and we might even say especially, are the object of ridicule and Mockery. Not unusual that when similar passages are 
mentioned, say, in our marriage form, that certain attendees at the marriage will gasp out loud at the notion of the submission of the wife to her husband. I've heard those gasps and wondered why they were even at the wedding to begin with. Similarly, it is not unusual in the churches and even in the church today that a passage such as this is outright mocked, and if not outright mocked and scorned as something that belongs to that Neanderthal Paul and his male chauvinism and belongs to the ancient world of Greeks and Romans that we don't not to hear is, if not that, minimized, overlooked, and not taught. Such should not be the case. This takes courage, of course, and there is a temptation to minimize, overlook, or to stay away from such warnings in Scripture because it is a warning that is directed to women in the church, and it addresses a particular topic about which women take a great interest, and I might say rightly so, not wrongly so. We're going to see that this concerns adornment, concerns beauty, concerns the dress of a woman, which she has an interest, even a right interest in. But sometimes that can easily go in the wrong direction where there is a pride and a vanity in that where it may not even be criticized, let alone a passage like this brought up from the Apostle. It's not to say either that what the Apostle has to say is exclusive to women. Certainly he addresses the women because this primarily pertains to things that they reflect and that they take an interest, not now because they are weak, not now because they are more sinners than, say, the men, but because of the way they are made nevertheless. Men, too, have the same sins in their heart that the Apostle is addressing. They have similar ways to show the immodesty that the Apostle condemns here. And they too have a calling as men who profess godliness to adorn themselves. Certainly I think all would be in agreement that if we would simply omit the first part of the passage and consider the second part where he says that women professing godliness ought to adorn themselves with godliness, no one here would dare say, but that's only the women. It only pertains to them. No, men too. Men too must adorn themselves with good works. But he does address women in particular, and now especially women in the church. The apostle here is not concerned with women in general. He's not concerned with women out there. He's not issuing a warning to how the world dresses and they're going about their business and at their parties, and at their activities, but the church. They're saying this is something the church needs to hear. That even when there is modesty in the church, that even when there is 
proper adornment of women in the church. The church always needs to be reminded about the subject matter of the passage, the right adornment about immodest dress and how we ought to dress. Specifically now, what the Apostle addresses is, first of all, the outward adornment of women in the church, as should be obvious, but especially in the public worship. would make a great mistake this evening if we thought the Apostle was only speaking about the adornment of women in general even the women of the church in general, that he's addressing their primary way they conduct themselves in their life. Now, he's not excluding that. Certainly what he has to say applies to the life in general of the women of the church on Monday through Saturday. But it is especially the worship service that is the focus here, indeed, That's the focus of this entire chapter. One of the reasons I'm preaching on this passage is it's fresh in our minds because we recently considered it as young adults in our young adult society. And there we learn that every exhortation in this chapter pertains especially to worship. When the Apostle speaks about the women being silent in a few verses. He's not talking about being silent in the home, being silent in every instance. He's not teaching that all women are subject to all men, but he's talking about church. He's talking about worship. The prayers that he says that must be made in the opening verses concern the prayers of public worship. When he talks about lifting up of hands, he's talking about the lifting up of hands in worship. And so also here with a guard to apparel. And that helps us understand somewhat what he's talking about and why it's of particular interest. Certainly what he has to say applies to how we witness to others in the world. And certainly there is an adornment with good works that goes on outside the church but is especially in the church, in the worship service, where these things are most important and instruction is necessary. Now, more particularly, what he has to speak about concerns beauty and the adornment that is associated with beauty. I'm going to return to this later on in the sermon. But all the words that the apostle uses here are words that talk about how a woman dresses. Not now simply her clothing, but her hair and her jewelry. And it all pertains to beauty and what is considered beauty and why he directs this word especially to the women of the church. And again now, we must not misunderstand the apostle. The apostle is not saying that he is against adornment. That such is the Holy Gospel and such is our salvation through Jesus Christ that a woman may not adorn herself. That she may have no interest in beauty whatsoever. That the women of the church ought to dress as drab as they possibly can. 
There ought to be no eye at all for beauty, for adornment, for what looks good. He's not saying that at all. That's evident when you consider that the exhortation itself is a positive. It's not a negative. He doesn't start out, now women, women professing godliness, don't adorn yourself. But the exhortation is positive. Adorn yourself. Now adorn yourself rightly. Adorn yourself this way. This is the beautiful way. This is the way of beauty. This is the true jewelry and dress that is your concern. So don't mistake the apostle here. In fact, what underlies the whole passage is the apostle's understanding of creation and how God created us. How God created the sexes different. And why we ought to be very aware even in our day that there is an eroding of this. There is a deliberate attempt to smear the differences between the sexes as inequality in the interest of liberty and other such notions. And we might even ourselves be inclined to look at that that way. But that wouldn't be faithful to God's own creation ordinances and how He made us. And the Apostle has an understanding. And we ought to also. If you ask yourself, why is it that He addresses women? Are they prouder and more vain than the husbands? No, of course not. They're no more proud than their husbands are proud and no more subject to vanity than their husbands are. So why the women? And the answer is because of their creation, the way God made them to reflect Himself, they in particular have an eye for beauty. And that's a good thing. God made men to reflect Him differently. That's a good thing too. God especially has men reflect the strength and the power of God, even the authority of God. That's our job. That's our position. That's our duty. That's the way the Apostle is even going to say in just a few verses, God made us. Women are made differently. Women are made to reflect the fact that God is lovely, that God is beautiful, that God is glorious, that God is wonderful. Keep in mind here something that we've considered as a congregation in the light of the book of Ephesians that there is a beauty and glory of the church. The church is a she. The church is a her. The church in its totality is often called the bride of Christ. And a bride who is dressed in lovely apparel and wears wonderful jewels and has a crown. All kinds of adornment and all kinds of beauty. And the Apostle teaches in the book of Ephesians, she is glorious. She is beautiful. She is wonderful. So don't misunderstand the Apostle here at all. He's saying, you women, adorn yourself. Adorn yourself as women. Be women. Look beautiful. Look lovely. Be the glory of your husband. Be the glory of your family. Be the glory in the church. How God made you. How you're supposed to function. But now, the Apostle wants to address especially adornment, as I said, in the church. 
This is interesting also that the Apostle would bring up clothing and adornment in church and about church because it's often said it really doesn't matter what we wear in church. Part of the eroding of the truth of the Word of God in the church is an eroding of the church's view of how we ought to dress for church. And it's often said we can wear whatever we want. Certainly, we should not take a person who shows up in everyday clothes and jeans and a t-shirt and tell them they have no place in the church. And certainly that's true. Certainly we're capable of worshiping and God will receive us in whatever we have to wear. And there's been many, many sad and pitiful stories about how the children of God have come to church with the same clothes that they wore every day because it was the only clothes that they had. And certainly God is no respecter of persons when it comes to clothes. But that doesn't mean it doesn't matter, which is why the Apostle brings it up. And he brings it up because he wants to address a matter of the heart. You see, someone can reveal their heart by how they dress too. There indeed may be people who just show up to church in their everyday clothes and say, God has to take me. God has to accept me. It reveals what they think about church. It reveals what they think about worship. It reveals what they think about God. They're equals with God. There's nothing special or important about God. God just takes you as you are. He doesn't change you or transforms you in whatsoever way. It's a position of pride, a position of vanity. And make no mistake either, the Apostle isn't saying now to the women of the church that there's no place in church for beauty. There's no place in church for a nice set of clothes. There's no place in church for jewelry. No place for earrings and a bracelet. No place in church for a fancy pair of shoes. Not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that it ought to be modest. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Modest. Modest. What the Apostle is talking about here is clothing that is appropriate. Clothing that is right. Clothing that fits the occasion. Clothing that is different than clothing that you would wear for other occasions. It's exactly what he's saying. And he leaves it with that word modest, as we're going to see, for a reason. The Apostle, it's interesting here, the Apostle isn't saying no, that the only thing that's out of line here, the only thing that's wrong in the church is very, very extravagant clothes or dressing like a whore or a slut. He assumes that. But he's saying there's a certain modesty that is appropriate and right for the woman in the church. And notice too that the Apostle has something to say about that at all times. When he brings up the apparel, when he brings up the jewelry, when he brings up the fancy hairstyle. That's really what he's referring to there. A hairstyle that in Greek days would have set you apart as a very wealthy and rich woman. 
And what he's condemning here, therefore, is that apparel which says about one, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I have means. Look at me. Pay attention to me. He's saying there's no place for that in the church. No place for that in the worship service. That's not why we're here. That's not what we assemble for. We don't gather here so that we can look at the women. We don't gather here to call attention to ourselves. It doesn't matter either whether one is rich or poor. Certainly if one is poor, one not to not be dressing above their means, showing that they don't really are they aren't really content with what God has given them or what God denies them. And it's a special danger when there's wealth and whether there's riches, another reason why we ought to consider this passage. We are wealthy. God has given us abundance of riches to buy many things that former ages were denied, especially the women of the church. If you look at the history of Israel, read Isaiah 3 again. Take notice of all that immodest apparel, all that jewelry, all that fancy clothes that was being worn in time of wealth, in time of riches, and everybody wanted to show it off. So if that's what not to wear, and he calls for modesty, notice he doesn't limit it simply to modest apparel. The exhortation is adorn yourself with modest apparel, and then he comes back to it, and with good works. Keep in mind that modesty needs to be defined in relationship to good works. That this too belongs to the adornment of a woman. They put it this way. That it really doesn't matter what a woman wears. If there is no adornment of good works, if there is no good works that adorn her, she's not dressed modestly, no matter what she wears. And consequently, you might say that if a woman is adorned with good works, and then she dresses with all her finery calling attention to herself, that's completely immodest, no matter how many good works might adorn her. These two things go together. You ask what these good works are. Well, the Apostle is going to define those in the book. You could read the book for yourself. It has to do with helping your husband and submitting to him in marriage. He has to do with rearing children and bearing children. Later on, he's going to talk about the good works of ministering to the necessity of the saints washing the feet of others, offering lodging and hospitality to the needy, helping the afflicted, older women teaching the younger women, acts of kindness, works of goodness, those things. And now you can see how that apparel is the exact opposite of all the self-centered, proud apparel of immodesty. And that's what the Apostle is saying is what's important. That's what's most important. That's what we should be concerned about. That is what a woman ought to think about as she's dressing for church on a Sunday. What adornment of good works are upon me. 
Ever look at them that way? As adornment? As the real clothing? And the real jewels? And the real beauty and the real glory of a woman? There is a spiritual standard for dress that the Apostle brings up also. The Apostle brings up this and issues this warning and brings this Word of God to us because he understands that there is a standard with regard to women in the church, women who profess godliness, and that standard for dress and apparel is the Holy Spirit. That's the amazing thing that he brings up here, really. doesn't say it explicitly, but he's saying that's what determines what you wear and not wear. It's not what you see in the magazines. It's not what you see on the television. It's not what they're writing about in books. It's not what you find out on the streets. It's not what you see in the women of the world. It's not what's being promoted everywhere on the billboards and the advertisements. That's not what determines is appropriate and modest and good apparel for women professing godliness. That's not the standard. The Holy Spirit is the standard. The Holy Spirit determines what's appropriate for us to wear in church. Should make sense. This is the church that is gathered by the Spirit. This is the church that is gathered by the Spirit through the gift of the Spirit, who is regenerated by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who produces good works in us. It is the Spirit who adorns us. And therefore, He determines what to wear and what not to wear. And that's really what the is going on here. This, you must see, isn't the personal word and opinion of the Apostle Paul, a man who knows nothing about beauty and adornment, and how dare he talk to us women about that. That's how this word is received. That's not the basis for which women of the church even today just mock and ridicule this word. They don't receive it as the word of the Spirit, but it is. And the Spirit calls for modesty in outward apparel and an adornment of good works. My dad, that's why it's being preached too. This is among the things that mothers in Israel should teach their daughters. And the daughters, when they mature, will teach their daughters. This is how the Spirit determines that. You understand that explains too why the Apostle here doesn't give us a lot of rules and regulations. That's always a temptation, of course, isn't there? Sometimes when there's immodest apparel in the church and there's complaints about it, or perhaps in the school, then immediately let's make some rules. Let's pull out the measuring tape. Let's lay down this law and that rule. And you'll notice Scripture doesn't do that. It doesn't mean it can't be done in a certain sphere, but it ought not be done really because it is the Spirit that determines this. And when there is immodest apparel in the church, the problem really is a woman is not being governed by the Spirit. And the Spirit does do this. 
I can well remember in my own experience that I could tell the very day a woman was converted to the Reformed faith, even the Christian faith, who previously was a heathen and an unbeliever and came to the faith. I could tell by the day when that occurred because the dress and apparel changed that quickly. The Spirit determines what is modest and immodest. Even in the church, and especially in the church. Keep in mind that this has to do, therefore, with professing godliness. This is the modesty of women who profess godliness. And the point is, if they're professing godliness, then they have a sense of what godliness is. And godliness has to do not only with actions one toward another, has to do not only with matters of the heart, but matters even of dress and of modesty and what to wear and what not to wear. Consider that. This should make sense. Again, how can we profess godliness? How can we determine what godliness is? How can we speak to godliness and say, this is godly and not godly, but it has nothing to say whatsoever about what I put on, and especially in church, and with regard to worship. Now perhaps you understand why especially this is a concern of the Apostle with regard to church. And the church is where we profess godliness more than any other place. And the church is where we profess who God is and how God lives and what God thinks about us and our behavior. Where more than any other place ought one to profess godliness and profess that now with how they dress. And there too, these are all things we recognize. We all recognize, of course, maybe we, pref- we t- pretend we don't. Often happens when there is a young girl who is fighting perhaps with her mother about what wear and what not to wear. She will feign ignorance about what her dress is saying and what it is communicating, pretending that it doesn't communicate or profess anything, but it does. And mother knows it very well. So also in regard to the church. Well, the point is the Holy Spirit motivates godly women to use the standard of godliness to determine what to wear and what not to wear. When the Holy Spirit motivates such women to adorn themselves, therefore, with something different, with spiritual qualities rather than physical, material Notice the Apostle adds something. He says not only simply adorn yourself with godliness and adorn yourself with modest apparel, but notice with shamefacedness and sobriety. What's he getting at there? He's saying there's what determines. There's the spiritual inward idea and motive for determining what's modest and what's not immodest. Shamefacedness and sobriety. Now don't misunderstand that word shamefacedness. The idea isn't of a woman walking around looking down, looking guilty, not able to look anybody in the eye, ashamed of who she is and what she is. That's not the idea of that. That would really be opposed to the fact the Holy Spirit gives men and women in the church joy and excitement, desire to be in church, joy in their heart as well as in their face when they worship God. 
No, that word there is really simply another word for modesty. It has the idea of decency. It reinforces the idea of appropriateness. It speaks to the feminine sense of what's right to wear according to the season, according to the circumstance. It speaks about the fact that one doesn't wear a party dress to a funeral or vice versa. That one doesn't wear winter wear on the beach or come to church in their beach wear. It has to do with a sense of what's right and what's wrong. The opposite of a woman professing godliness is then to have a face of vanity, a face of pride. You have to think here of the opposite as described in Isaiah 3. These women with their necks stuck out, their nose in the air, mincing about and prancing, wiggling around so all their jewelry jangles, and really all of it's saying is, look at me. Look at me. Check me out. Notice what I'm wearing. See what I have on. Shamefacedness is the exact opposite. It says, don't look at me. I'm not the center of attention here. Even if you look at me and see something beautiful, give glory to God. That's the idea of that. That's why he adds sobriety. Sobriety has the idea of being in one's right mind. The idea is a woman who would dare come to church in immodest apparel, dressed in a way that's not appropriate, not modest, is out of her mind. She's not thinking straight. She's not being governed, therefore, by the Spirit. She's not being governed by the godliness that the Spirit works. The sanctifying power of the godliness in us men and in us women. And that's why he talks about those who profess godliness. It's really part of godliness. One can say without godliness there is no modesty. Without godliness there is no appropriateness when it comes to worship. It's why, exactly why in churches that resemble the world, in churches that are more and more like the world, there is the immodesty because there is no godliness. Where there's godliness, there is modesty. There is appropriateness with regard to dress. What's the explanation? Well, the unsound mind is one that says, me. One that's vain. One that's proud. And comes to church with that in mind. Do you see how inappropriate it is, especially for church, and what godliness really is about? Godliness is... Let's worship God today. Let's worship God here in the service. That's why we're coming to church. That's the thought that ought to be in the mind of the woman as she gets dressed for church, as she decides what to wear and what not to wear. I'm going to the place where we worship God in the beauty of holiness, where we go to worship God and consider who He is and what makes Him lovely and what is it that makes God lovely? What is it that makes God beautiful? It's His godliness. His virtues. His perfections. That's what we look at. That's what we glory in. That's what we praise. That's what we honor. The exact opposite of saying, let's look at me. Let's talk about me. I'm going to put something on as we come to worship to make everybody say, who's that and what are they wearing? 
That's what's at stake. That's the issue. The glory of God. The beauty of holiness. The wonder of godliness. That leads me to my last point, which is the beautiful ensemble. There's something really kind of wonderful that the Apostle brings out here that's difficult to see in the English. I'll try to explain it. Every woman here knows what an ensemble is. It's the whole. It's the entirety. Every woman here knows that the shoes have to match the dress, the dress has to go with the jewelry, and even the jewelry has to match the earrings and the hairdo. It all has to go together. Something's not quite right. It just it doesn't look right. It's not beautiful. Beauty has to do with harmony and wholeness. The completeness of it. And there's a Greek word that captures that. It's the word cosmos. Now you know the word cosmos. It's the word that we use for our universe. But also, because it's from the Greek, it's the word that's associated with beauty. Cosmopolitan magazine is all about, supposedly, the beauty of women. Cosmetics is also related to that word, showing there's a relationship between the universe, the cosmos, and what's beautiful and lovely. And the idea in the Greek is that what is beautiful and lovely is the harmony and unity, how something fits and goes together. And that, I say, is something especially women have an understanding of. You all know that. That's why we go to our women and we say, does this tie go with this suit? Should I be wearing these shoes with that pants? We men generally don't have it. Women do. And the apostle gets at that when two words in the passage themselves are that. The word modesty is the word cosmos. And so is the word adornment. And you say, what's the Holy Spirit saying? And the Holy Spirit is saying, women, you who know who be what beauty is, you know what loveliness is, you have a sense for the beautiful ensemble. Think about that. Think about how untoward it is, how wrong it is. It's as wrong as mismatched socks. Or a plaid this with a polka dot that. It clashes. It's wrong. It's ugly. When you profess godliness, when you profess the name of Jesus Christ, when you say He is first, He is the best, He is my Savior, He is my Lord, He is my one interest, and then dress a way that says something else. The Apostle, by using those words for modesty and adornment, is saying, no, there's something much more appropriate for women professing godliness. And that's their godliness. If you're going to profess godliness, then that is what should be seen. That is what should be known. That is real adornment. And there's something wonderful about that too. Because it brings us back to God. It's not about us. It's about God. This too we considered in the book of Ephesians, did we not? What is the glory of the church? 
It's the sanctifying of the church. It's the great work of the Holy Spirit in the church so that she becomes lovely with the very perfections of God. And that is, therefore, the proper and right and lovely, beautiful adornment of women professing godliness too. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word to consider this evening the great work of the Holy Spirit, changing our hearts and minds from ways of vanity and pride to those that glorify Thy name, so that we profess godliness and then live in godliness, a godliness that shows even by our apparel and dress and the worship of Thy name. So grant, Lord, by Thy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.